And we're going to see today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're there, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. What we're going to see today is principles for being effective in ministry. And you're saying, hold on a second, John. We're not ministers, you're the minister. That's what we pay you for. That's what we pay Pastor Mike for. That's what we pay Pastor Joe for. That's why we have all the staff. And I get that. I, I, we have a great staff here at Calvary Chapel. One of the purposes of having people on staff is they can put their full focus and full energy and their work into ministry. But you know that all Christians are called to do ministry? Did you know that? We, we're, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you, Christians, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, the holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now, Christians, you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And a part of receiving the mercy of Christ, a part of receiving the work that Christ did for you on the cross, is your response after you come to Christ should be hearts that want to do work for God because he served you. And you want to serve through ministry in some way, fashion, or form. You want to do something for God. And so what we're going to learn today is how to be effective in that. We're going to learn how to be effective in our ministry to other people. How to be fruitful Christians in ministry. It's important stuff today. And listen, we're learning from one of the best ministers that ever lived, Paul. We're going to learn from his example today. Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament or more. Paul, who started churches all over the Roman Empire, including this church in Thessalonica, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi. And Paul, the one that invaded the Roman Empire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, who is part of the disciples that turned the world upside down, or rightly so, right side up for Christ. We'll learn from his example this this day. And and listen, um, it's important for all of us to be people that are continually learning more and how we can be more effective in ministry. We spent three days with our staff at the uh, leadership conference in Stone Mountain, Atlanta area. We have a regional leadership pastors conference every year, and we spent three days just being taught God's word, being in worship with other leaders from across the South. And you know what? Just those three days of me just sitting and being taught and being sewed into re-energized me for ministry. Gave me some more ideas of how I could be effective in the ministry God's called me to. And we should be, if if you want to be a leader for God, you need to be a learner. You know what the word disciple means? Learner. One who's in the discipline of learning. And that's what all Christians should be as disciples that are trying to learn how they can be more effective in their service to God. So we're going to learn that today. Five principles. And I'm just going to give you five phrases that will help you be more effective in what you do for God in this world. Uh, I'll give them to you ahead of time. Boldness, integrity, love, God's word, and perseverance. So let's look and learn from the uh, Apostle Paul from these, uh, his example, these five things that will help you be more effective in doing ministry for God. Chapter 2, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Here we go. For yourselves know, brethren... That our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much, notice, opposition. Now Paul's uh, uh, reminiscing. He's going back. 
to his ministry there in Thessalonica. And previous to being in Thessalonica, he said he was in Philippi. And when he was in Philippi, you remember the story, Acts chapter 16? What happened? They delivered a fortune-telling slave girl from a demon. Masters got upset. They falsely accused Paul and Silas. After falsely accusing him, they brought him before the magistrate. They threw him in prison. They beat him with rods. Then they put him in stocks. And they were beaten with rods. And, and listen, they were, it wasn't easy. Stocks in those days were a form of torture. Beaten and tortured. And then they were released because they they found out that Paul was a Roman citizen, and then they scurried him out of town. But then, after being in Philippi, Paul went to Thessalonica, and he preached for three Sabbath days the gospel in the synagogue there. And then the religious leaders came there and persecuted him some more to the point that he was run out of town after four weeks. But listen to what Paul says again. In the midst of much opposition, how did Paul respond to that? Did he cower? Did he back down? Did he give up? Did he quit? No. It said, we came to you in the midst of the opposition with, look at it again, with boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. That's when he came to Thessalonica. And listen, he probably still had scabs on his back from being uh, you know, uh, beaten with rods in Philippi, but he didn't back down. He continued to be bold in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of much opposition. And if you want to be effective in ministry, that's what you've got to do too. You've got to have an attitude like Paul that said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to whoever believes. We need to be people that in the midst of a world that wants you just to back down and cower and give up on your boldness. We need to be bold because we have the power of the Holy Spirit, but you should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses. That's what Jesus prophetically said about us, and we need to fulfill that by being bold. One of my heroes, Billy Graham, I love the guy. I'm looking forward to getting to heaven and spending some time with him. He's already passed. Lived at 99 years old. But one of the fun things you can do in our region here is go up to Charlotte sometime and go to his museum, his library up there. It's amazing. There's 11 different presentations of the gospel as you go through Billy Graham's museum up there. 11 different times you're going to hear the gospel from Billy Graham himself as you go through all the different uh, displays they have there. But one thing that I noticed the last time I was there, he had a whole section of TV shows that he was interviewed on, Johnny Carson. Remember Johnny Carson with The Tonight Show? Some of you say, who's Johnny Carson? I'm dating myself here. But he had, when he was on Johnny Carson, and then he was on uh, several other shows. He was on Phil Donahue, and then he was on, um, uh, he was actually on a Woody Allen talk show. Woody Allen had a talk show at one time. He, he was on Larry King. And there's, a, there's, at the museum, there's several times where he's interviewed in these secular talk shows by very liberal media. And I watched each one of those as I went to the museum last time. And I watched because I wanted to see how he respond these liberal media people like Phil Donahue or Woody Allen, would he back down? Would he just be kind of, you know, staying away from the tough subjects? He wasn't. It's amazing. Billy Graham, when Larry King would ask him about, hey, are you saying that Jesus Christ is the only way? Yep. And if you don't repent, you're not going to have that way, is basically what he would say. Right, right in his face. He was bold. That boldness was there. Why did God use Billy Graham for 60, 70 years and change the world? Because he was bold. He didn't back down, even in situations where he was around people that were obviously 
opposing what he believed and what he stood for, he wouldn't back down. Church, we need to be the same if we, need to be effective, if we want to be effective in ministry. Stand your ground. Stand your ground, even in much opposition like Paul, and you'll be effective in making a difference for Christ. Now, does that mean you're rude? No, there's enough rude Christians out there. Does that mean you're just, you know, getting people's face and banging them over the head with the Bible? No, don't do that. It doesn't work. Jesus was full of grace, full of grace in his interaction with the world, but he was also full of truth. And we need to have that blend, full of grace and full of truth, and we'll be effective in ministering. Amen? So in much opposition, he was bold, Paul was. Verse three, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. The word deceit there is trickery or baiting somebody. But just as we have been approved by God, we're to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. Notice he said, when he came to the Thessalonians, we never came with flattery of speech. The word there for flattery of speech is to, is to try to um, uh, get attention or gain through insincere speech. Interesting. You know, sometimes when people are flattering you with ulterior motives, Paul said, we never did that. We were pure in our motives. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Here's what Paul's saying. We came to you. We were the real deal. We just didn't speak. We lived. We didn't just have the talk. We had the walk. And Paul said, we didn't come to you with these ulterior motives of greed. We didn't come to you with flattering speech. We didn't come for you to try to get something out of you. Actually, Paul came and made tents, and he worked, we're going to see the next section, night and day, so that he'd have integrity in his ministry there to the Thessalonians. And church, that's the next thing. If you want to make a difference in the world and be effective in ministering to this world for Jesus Christ, you got to be the real deal. got to have integrity. Now, what is integrity? It's an adherence to a set of values or moral code. It's, it's that you're living out what you're telling other people about. You know, I was trying to sow into some of our U-turn leadership uh, a while back, and the Lord, as I was ministering to one of our overseers and stuff and talking with him back and forth, the Lord just gave me a word. And the word was, longevity will give credence to credibility. And I shared that with a couple of our, our U-turn overseers. And I said, hey, you guys want to be long-term. If you want to make a difference in this U-turn ministry, if you really want to help the guys in your leadership, longevity will give credence to credibility. And what does that mean? Over a long period of time, we walk the walk. Over a long period of time, we live what we say we believe. And that's not just for U-turn overseers. That's for every Christian. It's, Christianity is not about how you start, it's about how you finish. And if you want to have integrity in your ministry to other people, live it out for a long period of time to the rest of your life. Paul could say at the end of his ministry, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. And those that I respect most in the ministry that they've done over the years are the people that lived it for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 to the end of their life. Because longevity will give credence to credibility. Amen? And we need to be sincere like Paul. We need to live it out. 
We need to walk the walk, and then our ministry will be effective to other people. Very important. Pastor Chuck was a great example of that to me. Pastor Chuck, the founder of Calvary Chapel, he died when he was 86 years old, and to the end, he lived out what he preached. I remember I went to a pastor's conference in California when I was beginning the ministry here, and Don McClure, one of our Calvary Chapel pastors, he spoke at our men's conference before. He was one of the founding guys with Pastor Chuck of Calvary Chapel. He goes all the way back to the beginning days of Calvary Chapel, and he had a season. Don McClure had a season of going away from Calvary Chapel. He had a season of doing speaking at conferences, at vineyards, and his brother actually became a vineyard pastor. And so he had a season of leaving Calvary Chapel, but then he came back and got very involved in Calvary Chapel again and pastored at Calvary Chapel and helped start other Calvary Chapels. And it was interesting to me because at this one conference I went to, he had already come back to Calvary Chapel and got involved in Calvary Chapel again. And he said, I've come back to Calvary Chapel. One of the primary reasons why I've come back to Calvary Chapel and I want to be a part of Calvary Chapel is because I've never found another leader like Pastor Chuck Smith that is really living to the degree he's living for Christ. And I want to be a part of a movement, he said, that has a leader of integrity that doesn't just preach it but lives it. Amen? That's what we want to be, huh? We want to be people, hey, we're not going to be perfect. Uh, We're going to fall. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. But we need to be real. We need to be authentic. We need to have integrity. And that means we're not just a bunch of talk. We're doing our best to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness so God can add all things unto us. Can I get an amen on that, church? Amen. Let's live it. And that will give us effective uh, uh, ministry to other people. Now go on, verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children Having so fond of affection for you, we were well pleased. This is his ministry to the Thessalonians. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become very, notice the adjectives here, dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Again, integrity. Just so you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, so that you'd walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Now, Paul uses two illustrations here. First one's a mom. And he says this, when we ministered to you, we were like a mom. Analogy, nursing mom who had fondness of affection for you. And you were dear to us. I remember those days. Seems like yesterday, although it was 20-something years ago, of Heidi having babies. (laughs) I remember eight years in a row, we just kept popping those things out. And once we'd get a kid sleeping through the night and get away from the sleep deprivation, he'd get pregnant again. And we'd have another baby. And then, whoa, all night long kind of thing. But I remember, I remember those days of walking in on Heidi and she'd be nursing one of our babies. Just that connection was powerful. I saw the love she had for that baby, that fondness, that bonding that was going on. And I said, I'm never going to have that. There's going to be a special bond there with this child and, and Heidi. Because that fondness, that love, still to this day, 
don't mess with one of Heidi's kids. The, the mama bear will come out. Maternal, it's there. What's Paul saying? That's how we should be in ministering to other people. We should have a fondness towards them, a love, a dearness towards them that's real, that's love. And then the second analogy he gives us a father. And he says, when we were among you now, we were like a mom nursing kids, having a fondness, a dearness towards you, a love for you, but also we were like a dad. We were exhorting, we were encouraging, we were imploring you. The word implore means begging you, pleading with you to live for Christ. That's what us dads do with our kids sometimes. We exhort, right? We encourage, we plead. Will you get your act together? And not only that, but we work hard as dads because our job is to be a provider. And that's what Paul said when we, were under, when we were among you. We were like a dad. We worked hard. We not only did ministry, we made tents. We worked hard to provide for the ministry there in Thessalonica. And not only that, but we were like a dad that just, we were there for you. We were there for you, and we wanted to be an example to you. That's what Paul said. We lived it out before you. And that's another job of dads, right, to be an example to the kids, to live out integrity again and how the kids are supposed to live so you could say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Here's the next principle. After integrity, love. Have a, those people you're ministering to, love them like a mom loves her kids. Love them like a dad loves his kids. Be a spiritual father and mother to those that you're ministering to. And here's the deal. As you live for Christ, as you lead people to Christ, as you minister to people of Christ, they're going to start looking to you like a spiritual papa or a spiritual mama. And that's good. Because we're supposed to be reproducing. Healthy sheep reproduce and start having spiritual kids. But in the midst of that ministry to people that you minister to, please love them. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you don't have love, you're nothing. You're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Apart from, you can have all the knowledge, you can have all the faith to move mountains, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. And what does 1 Corinthians 13 describe love as? Love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it doesn't act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it doesn't take no account of wrongs suffered, it doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And notice verse 8, love never fails. When I came to Christ, it's about 40 years ago, I was... <laughs> I was a little skeptical, a little hard-hearted, even after I came to Christ, a little cynical even, because I came out of a dysfunctional family. My dad was an alcoholic for 35 years. I was involved with friends that were friends when you were good, but if you weren't you know, doing good, they said, yeah, get it, you know, whatever. And then I fell into fellowship with Christians, and I'll never forget it. Got involved with this Young Life group on Tuesday nights where it's worship and teaching, and then Monday nights campaigners where there's discipleship, and then we'd go on retreats together, and then we'd uh, go to church all together and stuff. And I remember being a little skeptical. These Christians are a little bit too nice. What do they want from me? What do I got to do here? You know what I found out? We had an incredible fellowship of Christians in that high school, about 100 high school kids that all had been newly saved, a lot of them, and were just on fire for Christ. And we know what I found out from these Christians? They didn't want anything. They just wanted to love me. And they did. And I was a knucklehead. 
When I came to Christ, man, it took me three months to figure out that you can't, you're not supposed to swear as a Christian. And I remember, it, no one, they were so nice to me, they weren't taking me aside and confronting me, which they should have done. But anyways, I'd, I'd swear in front of these Christians. We'd be doing a game, you know, one, a retreat or something. I'd drop the football or something, and I'd let it rip. That's how I was. That's why I was my background. And I, they still love me. They go, oh, what is he saying now? But they love me. And they were just unconditional in their love. And they brought me into the group. They befriended me. And all my idiosyncrasies, all my faults, they still loved me. And I, they became like family to me, brothers and sisters in Christ that loved me. You know what? That sealed the deal of the truth of Christianity in my life. The agape, unconditional love that Christians had for me. Let's do that for others. Let's love them with all their idiosyncrasies, all their faults, all the dumb things they do, because you do dumb things too, and I do too, and let's love each other. You know what Jesus said? Those that do the will of God as his mother and brother and sister, because we're family. And that's what the church is. We're supposed to be family, and family is supposed to love one another. Amen? Amen. Let's be, in our ministry to other people, a fondness of our affection for one another. Let's be like a mom that has a dearness and love for her kids. Let's be like a dad that exhorts and implores and and encourages one another. Let's be like a dad that wants to help other people in their way and set an example from other people. Now let's go on in our scripture, verse 13. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs, notice, its work in you who believe. The next thing that needs to be in place if we're going to be effective in ministering to other people is the word of God. And notice what it says there. As you sow the word of God in other people's lives, it will do a work in other people's lives. Why? Because God's word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It has the ability to divide soul and spirit. It has the ability to go to the joints and marrows of people's spiritual life and judge the thoughts and intentions of their hearts. God's word has power in it. And as we share God's word with other people, it's like a seed that will grow. 1 Peter 1.23 tells us that. It says, For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. I was reading this week about pyramids, Egypt. And uh, the seeds that some of these people have found in pyramids go back before the time of Christ. Thousands and thousands of years. And, and some of the uh, pharaohs or whatever in their pyramids had jars that were sealed with seeds that would grow crops. And they were taken out. They would take these jars and they would take the seeds out. They've been sitting for thousands of years. And as long as they put those seeds in good soil and watered them, you know what those seeds would do? They'd grow. After thousands of years of sitting stagnant in a jar, they'd still grow. God's word like, is like that. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And as, even though it's thousands of years old, you take God's word and you sow it in other people's lives. Isaiah 55 says, it will not return empty. It will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. And as you sow God's word and you just share God's word with other people, it will produce a harvest. 
It will be living and active in a perishable seed that could cause some people to be born again. Well, I don't have the gift of teaching. I'm not like you, John. I just can't preach. I just, that's not what I'm supposed to do. That's fine. Find some other ways to share God's word with people. Share CDs of teaching CDs with people. Share uh, resources, maybe some books with people you're trying to reach out to and share Christ with. Share tracts with them. Share whatever you can with them because it will make a difference in their lives. If they're open at all, if you just share things that have God's word with it, it will produce. It will produce a harvest. I remember my dad, like I shared a minute ago, he was, man, grew up in a Christian home, but he just went wayward from college on. And for 35 years, Struggled with alcoholism. For 35 years during that time period, I remember I came to Christ and I was praying for him and I tried my best to witness to him and it just felt like I was, it was just, just speaking to a hard wall when I'd share Christ with him. And so the Lord led me to just share resources with him. I'd, I'd send him a book or I'd bring him a book that I read that really had an impact on my life that had, was filled with God's word and I'd send him the book. I sent him, remember cassettes? That's a day uh, gone by, right? But I sent him. I hear a good message taught up from God's word. And I'd send him cassette after cassette after cassette. And I was thinking, man, he just recycled those. He just would put them in the basket and throw them out. I didn't think it was having any impact at all. But you know when my dad passed? My sister was cleaning out his office. She said right in his office, in one of the main parts of his desk, like where the file cabinet kind of part of the desk, big part of the desk, she said the whole thing was filled with cassettes and books and things that I had sent my dad right in his space there in his office. And then after my dad passed, I'll never forget, I went into his bedroom after dad died. I was grieving. I was hurting. The Lord needed, knew I needed to see this because I went to his bed and my dad only put things next to it on his bedstand that he'd be reading on a regular basis that were something he was really going after and reading. He'd read it in his bed at nighttime. You know, it was right by his bed, his Bible from Wheaton College with his name on it, and a book that I'd sent him called In the Grip of Grace by Max Lucado. And I really believe right at the 11th hour, right before the Lord took, took him, I think he came back. Like the prodigal son came to his senses. And I'm so glad that I, I, time after time I'd send him things. I'm so glad that he kept those things. And those things were like a seed that eventually grew. I think it made a difference in his life. Let's do that for other people, amen? Let's be people that are bringing God's word and the work of God's word in other people's lives, even if it's just giving them resources. Let's do that in our ministry to other people. Let's close up our section now. And then it says in uh, verse 14, for you, brethren, become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed, interesting, killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They're not pleasing to God, but hostile to men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they've always filled up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost." Now notice this last section. He's going to go back to the return of Christ. Every chapter in Thessalonians goes back to the return of Christ at the end of the chapter. Eschatology is called. But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short time in person, not in spirit. We're all the more eager and great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, 
And yet Satan hindered us. Question, how did Satan hinder them from coming to the, back to the Thessalonians? Well, it could have been circumstances. Many scholars believe it was the pledge that Jason had to take in, in, in getting Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica. It says in the book of Acts chapter 17, it said, Jason gave a pledge to the city leaders. Many scholars believe the pledge was, we'll never, <laughs> we'll never bring these guys back again. And that could have been a way that thwarted them from coming back to Thessalonica. Verse 19, for notice, eschatology, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exhortation? Is it not even you? When? In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. For you, Thessalonians, are our glory and our joy. I like that. Paul's saying in the midst of all the opposition he's facing, in the midst of all the persecution, what keeps him going is that he knows that soon and very soon, Christ is coming back. And when Christ comes back, Paul says, you, Thessalonians, that we've ministered to, you that we've shared the gospel with, you that we've brought to Christ, you at the return of Christ, probably the rapture he's referring to here, when we're raptured out of here and you're raptured with us, you're gonna be our joy. You're gonna be our glory. You're going to be the one we're rejoicing in because we effectively ministered to you and brought you to Christ. You're going to be with us in the rapture at the return of Christ. That's wonderful. What's the last thing that we've got to be, have in place if we're going to be hmm, making a difference for God in this world? Perseverance. Perseverance. And Paul says, hey, these people that killed the Lord Jesus Christ, these religious leaders that crucified Christ, they're after us now. But Paul says, we ain't going to quit because you're our joy. You're our hope. You're our glory. And we're going to be raptured soon. Paul believed that. Do you know Paul believed that in his lifetime he's going to be raptured? He, 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 there's a lot of reference to the fact that he believed in the imminent return of Christ and he lived that way and we should too. Any day now, especially now, look what's happening in our world. Any day now, Christ could rapture us out of here. I mean, all the things are in place for the rapture of Christ. I mean, uh, Israel's become a nation again after 2,000 years. 2,000 years. It's never happened in world history before that a nation was scattered uh, to other nations and was basically canceled and put out of commission as a nation. It's never happened that after 2,000 years, a nation would come back and occupy the land and be a nation again. That's exactly what's happened in the last 100 years with Israel, and it's a sign that we're getting close to the return of Christ, the soon return of Christ. Other things are in place, too. We've never had a world that's so connected through social media, can you say internet, through world commerce, Really, it's becoming a one-world government already with business. Already, if you go, if you go over to Europe, it's amazing. Uh, already, the, the way the lines have crossed with even currency, you've got the euro dollar. Everything's in place for the Antichrist to come on the scene and have a one-world government, a one-world business system, a one-world currency. I mean, all this stuff, Bitcoin or whatever it's called, right? So this currency is already starting to become international, Across all lines. Why? Because there's an antichrist who's coming who's going to be a world leader that's going to dominate the world, not only with government, but with business and one world, one, one world religion. We're seeing that too, right? All the lines are being smeared in regards to religions. They're all coming together. It's all coming in place for the soon return of Christ. And in the midst of that, with this return coming, 
We should be Christians that are persevering, not giving up, even though there's much opposition, and not giving in. One of my life verses, probably my primary life verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I've quoted it often. What is it? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you're toiling the Lord, what? It's not in vain. In other words, don't quit. Persevere, Christians. Keep on keeping on. Keep fighting the good fight. Finish the course. Keep the faith. The pastor's conference this last week, we had a great time. Just one of the best pastor conferences I've ever been to. Just powerful teaching, powerful worship. And uh, Pastor Sandy, who's our regional pastor for the South, for the Deep South, uh, he does a great job in hosting this you know, conference for all the leaders and pastors for the southern churches. And Pastor Sandy invited me over on Monday night because I'm a part of his regional team for overseeing the South. And he invited Heidi and I over to have dinner at his house with all the main speakers and also the other regional leaders. And we had a great time on Monday night just having fellowship. But one of my favorite parts of being at Sandy's house on Monday night was one of my favorite Calvary Chapel pastors was there speaking this week. And his name is Pancho Juarez. Pancho's the real deal, man. He's got a huge Calvary Chapel in East L.A. And he talks like he's from East L.A. I mean, I can't even imitate him, but man, he's got, he's got the Hispanic East L.A. accent going, man. And the guy's a great teacher of God's Word, but he's also hilarious. He's funny. Just fun to be around. And so I'm sitting across the table from Pancho. And I, you know, I've been trying to get him to come back. He spoke at our men's conference here probably, probably about seven, eight years ago. I've tried to get him to come back because he's just a great encouragement to the men. And I couldn't get him. I couldn't get him. And I, so I was giving him a little hard time about that. But then I realized that one of the reasons why he couldn't come the last several years is he stopped traveling. And so I backed off. And then uh, walking in the room was his wife. And I realized that one of the reasons why Pancho couldn't come to our men's conference the last several years is because his wife actually uh, had brain cancer. I mean, life-threatening brain cancer. And it was so good to see his wife walk in the room, and she sat by Pancho, and pa- Pancho announced to all of us pastors that she is now in remission. And the cancer's gone. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. But as they went through this season... As he, he, he didn't do a lot of, I found out a lot of speaking around the country anymore because he was home ministering to his wife. But you know what he did with his church? He kept on teaching. Kept on preaching. Kept on leading hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ there in East L.A., which he's done. Because even though there was much opposition, then Satan wanted him to quit in the midst of his wife having brain cancer. He didn't quit. And you know what he announced in the teaching after that Monday night? He, he shared during one of his teachings that his life verse is 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which is be steadfast, be immovable, but always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. And when he shared that life verse, I said, no wonder I like the guy so much. He's got the same life verse, but he doesn't quit. He's not giving up. And he's going to keep preaching Jesus and ministering to people, even with a wife that has brain cancer. That was an example to me. And so what do we have to have in place if we're going to make a difference in our ministry to other people? Let's go back. Let's go back to what we learned this morning. Number one, boldness. Even if there's much opposition, be bold. You should receive power 
And the Holy Spirit comes around and you shall be witnesses. Number two, integrity. Live it out, church. Don't just talk the talk, but what? Let's walk the walk, man. Number three, love. Have a fond affection for those people. People don't care how much you know sometimes until they know how much you care. Let's love people. In Jesus' name, let's love people. Number four, what is it? God's word. God's word is what works in people. Get God's word out to other people. And the last thing, if we're going to be effective in ministry, that's not quit. Let's be steadfast. Let's be immovable. Let's always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil in the Lord is not, what? In vain. Let's pray, church. Father, we just thank you so much for your word today. Thank you, God, that your word instructs us, teaches us, and does work in us. Thank you, Father, that your word equips us for righteousness, Lord. And now, Father, I pray that as we study these things from the example of the Apostle Paul, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, God, but doers. Help us to be people that live out our faith before other people in such a way that we're bold, that we don't give up or give in. We keep boldly doing our best to share Christ with people and making a difference in other people's lives. Help us to be people that live it too, Lord. Give us the strength. We're not going to be perfect. We know that, Father. But help us to be people that are seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness so that people could see that in us, that we're living it out before them, Father. Help us to be people, too, most importantly, Lord. Help us to be people that love others. Forgive us for the hardness of our hearts, Lord. Forgive us for our lack of love. And fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit so we could have that love just flowing in us and through us, Lord. Give us a fond affection for other people. Help us to be people that are like a, a mom nursing the kids in regards that we have this, this, this love, this bonding for other people, especially other brothers and sisters in Christ, God. Father, help us to be people, too, that are allowing God's word to be sowed in other people's lives as we share things with other people, even if it's just inviting them to church to hear God's word. Help us to be fishers of men, Lord. You say, Jesus, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Help us to be doing that and sowing your word in other people's lives. And Lord, lastly, help us to be people that aren't given up or given in. Help us, to, again, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your work, knowing that our toll in you is not in vain, Father. Just thank you so much that Jesus didn't quit. Thank you that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't stop. He didn't give up. He went all the way to the cross for us. Help us to be people that keep pressing forward for you, God. And Lord, just thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your fond affection for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, that you don't give up on us, Lord. You are faithful even when we're faithless, Lord. We thank you for your love and your grace and your just patience with us, Father. And so, Lord, even this week, help us to be living these things out. Help us to be an example to others. Help us to love others. Help us to live it out before other people. Help us to be people that are bold. Help us to be people that are persevering. Help us to be people of integrity, God. And we ask for your help, Lord, to be these things we've learned this morning. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.